um, a verse. It's probably a little bit of an untraditional verse for a Christmas message, but it's the one the Holy Spirit put on my heart. And uh, so I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll just, I'm just going to launch my boat and see what happens. I believe God's just going to remind us of how much he cares for us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, one verse, verse 10. It says, God's purpose and grace has now been manifest. Everyone say that word with me. Manifest. And think of what the word manifestation, being manifest, means while I repeat that first, first portion of this verse. God's purpose and grace has now been manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful statement. God made clear. He manifest. He manifest through Jesus Christ. God appearing. God manifesting himself. He revealed his love for us. His plan for us. He abolished death by doing so and brought light and immortality to life through Jesus. Well, I was so glad that uh, I didn't know what Jesse was going to share, but I was glad that he kind of went from Genesis right on up into the gospel sharing about the appearing of Jesus, the manifestation of God. And so I like that he talked about that scene over the manger in Bethlehem because when the heavens broke open over the manger where Jesus was lying, the angels filled the sky and they they issued a proclamation that is reverberating down through history. It's a statement, a proclamation that will never go away. And Isaiah records it 700 years before it happens. But it happened that night and it is out there. It is out there dominating the atmosphere. It is out there providing a covering for everyone who receives that babe that grew into our Savior, the Lamb of God. And that saying that they proclaimed is, unto you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When I think of Christmas, I think of goodness triumphing. I think of truth prevailing. When I think of Christmas, I think of, of hope paying off and promises being delivered. I think of every reason why humanity should despair or be cynical or hopeless. And every one of those reasons for despair and hopelessness and cynicism being ransacked because love was manifest. There's no longer any reason for darkness to prevail because the light is manifest. Love manifest. Praise God. We finally know who God is. He's not aloof. He's not hiding behind a religious riddle. He's manifest. He's a God who has come forth to make himself known in the most tangible and the most relatable way. 
Jesse said he had to be born a babe. Jesus manifested the eternal God, who up till that point was a mystery. Even his prophets wondered at who God was and what he was like. Moses, who the Bible says saw God face to face, wondered, what's God like? Just explain your name to me. And when God had told him, well, you can call me I am, because I am that I am. But even Moses wanted God to explain himself. When Jesus came, God was fully explained. Whatever you need to know about God, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God is explaining himself. Every time Jesus talked, every time Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, when Jesus hugged and held broken sinners, when he gave deference to those who had been cast off or trodden underfoot or rejected by religious elites, he showed who God was. We now know who God is because of Jesus. God's not hidden in the clouds. God's not mysterious. God is not coy. He's not backing off. He's not just letting out little tips and hints and you've got to climb a mountain somewhere and with your effort and with your lifelong search try to figure out who God is. He has plainly spoken. He has absolutely clearly made his, himself known. And in the 2,000 years since his appearing, it's as though in many cases we've gone backwards. The theologians have gone back to putting a curtain around Jesus, concealing him in mysterious clouds of religion, teaching their people that God can't really be understood. When Jesus came and made him plain, could not have done anything more demonstrable, anything more uh, um, forthright than to be born a babe and to die like a criminal for our sin on Calvary's cross. What could be more plain than that? Jesus is God manifest. Jesus is love manifest. We look out over the, the parched plains of the news of the world and we see, we, we see hopelessness, we see despair. We have a 6,000 year history of mankind reaching up and trying to make it up to the top of that hill and sliding back down again. But Jesus was born on that hilltop, came down into our valley, loved perfectly, and left that love with us. Jesus has manifest the eternal God. He has made himself known, as I said, in the most relatable way. Who can't embrace Jesus? I mean, he's just huggable. He is downright huggable. People hugged Jesus. Did you know that? People hugged him. Children jumped on him. The disciples said, you need to stop letting those kids jump all over Jesus. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think you understand what I'm all about. These kids get something you're having a hard time grasping. And they're jumping on me. And I'm loving it. And I'm hugging them. And I'm holding them. The almighty, eternal God who we think is capricious and dangerous and, and angry and mysterious and always just right on the edge of paying back sinners 
for their sins. And yet here he comes, here he comes in his perfect manifestation. And there he is. He's letting lepers touch him. He's letting women who have an issue of blood, 12 years diseased, unlawful for them to appear in public, pressing their way through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. He not only allows it all, he celebrates them. He stops. He takes time. He talks with them at the Last Supper. There's his disciple, John, leaning on his, what man leans on another man's chest? You wouldn't do that today. Guys leaning on one another. Today, they would make something sexual out of it. That's how perverted the world is, how perverse. Nothing's pure, but Jesus, pure. And he, he brought that out in the people around him. There's John just leaning on the Lamb of God. Isn't it all? Have you ever leaned on Jesus? He's here. You can lean on him. You can lean on him. Did you know that at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they all started saying, is it me? Is it me? I think it's him. And they're going back and forth trying to figure out who it is. John is leaning on Jesus' chest, up on his upper chest, his shoulder, and he just quietly whispers to Jesus. It's right there in the Gospel of John. You can read it. He whispers, he says, who is it? Jesus said, watch, it's the one when I dip the sop and give it to him. That's who it is. He's not mysterious. He says, oh, I'll tell you. There's everyone else trying to figure out. There's John leaning on Jesus. Because Jesus is leanable. He's huggable. You can lean on him. I hope you know the Jesus that's leanable. Praise God. In the opening gospel of John, John writes, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Word became a human and took up his residence, made his home among us. That's who God is. That's who God is. And Jesus made him clear. And the Bible says, we have seen his glory. Jesus, for this atheist who became a Christian, not knowing, having never broken a Bible open, having never been to a church, never had any instruction about God or about Jesus. For me, I got taught about Jesus by Jesus. I didn't have any bad religious ideas that had been programmed into me to have to unlearn. It was wonderful to me to find out that God's glory is his kindness, his loving kindness, his tenderness, the Bible says we saw his glory, and he's not mean. We saw Jesus. We saw God's glory. He's not mean. He's not pushed over the edge. He's not the camel after the last straw was laid on him. He's not angry. He's not temperamental. Is there such a thing as the anger of God? Of course there is. But it's lovingly and it is appropriately and perfectly applied against the evil 
and the unrepentant hatred and evil that deserves it. God is not temperamental. He's not capricious. He's not, uh, he is, is not unstable, but he's tender-hearted and he's kind. Think about it. Our God is kind. The eternal king of glory, the eternal creator who stretched out the heavens and of whom the Bible says that the universe is stretched between his thumb and his pinky. He holds the universe in his hand. And the scripture says he upholds all things by the word of his power. It just makes your soul shake. Yet that eternal king is a wonderful father. He's a wonderful father. That's the kind of God he is. He is a father. John's gospel records later, the night that Jesus was betrayed as he's meeting with his disciples, he's been talking about the father and I'm going to go back to the father. And Philip is naturally just a little bit confused. And he's like, well, I know that you're the Messiah, but you're talking about the Father. We're just a little bit confused. 2,000 years, people are still confused. The theologians haven't helped us much with that. They, they continue to construct templates because they can't explain it that keep God in a state of confusion. But Jesus made it very clear. Jesus looked at Philip when Philip said, just show us the Father, and it'll, we'll, that'll be enough for us. And Jesus looks at Philip, and he says, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you're looking at the Father. There's nothing about God that is not plain and evident in Jesus. There's no part of God that you're going to see that wasn't already shown in Jesus. Paul calls him in Galatians, Colossians, Galatians. That's the little no man's land between Galatians and Colossians. We call it Galatians. So at any rate, in Colossians, um, Paul says, says that, 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 that God... Hallelujah, that, that, in, that invisible God has made himself known, made himself known, and his fullness is manifest in Jesus. When I think of Christmas, I think of the word manifest. All the faith paid off. All the hope was fulfilled. Every covenant promise kept. The truth revealed. The day of confusion ended when Jesus arrived in the manger. God was loudly speaking, loudly speaking. And the only way you cannot hear him today is by deciding you don't want to hear or by allowing religious ideologues to fill you with explanations about him that bring back the shroud of confusion. But you know, the real followers of Jesus, they peel all the layers back, and they just boldly say the truth. Because guess what? I'm not responsible for raising the dead, but I'm still going to tell the dead, get up out of your grave. And I'm not responsible for opening the eyes of the blind or healing the lame but I'm not going to shrink back 
from saying what Jesus said. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The Bible says that Jesus walked throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and every sick person who came to him was healed. Not some, not 80%, not 50. I don't read, and you're not going to find one episode where Jesus declined to heal a single person that came to him. Not one. He healed, the Bible says, all who came. And who is God? We have gone back to creating a God who is capricious, arbitrary, indifferent, and mysteriously religious. For some reason, he'll heal you, but he's not going to heal you. Certainly there are people we pray for that get healed and some that don't. But somehow, I, while I don't understand all those cases, everybody involved has got to figure that out between them and God, the one thing I do know is there's not a problem with God. The one thing I do know is that our God's a lover. He's a fixer. He's a healer. You cannot come to Him in faith and be sent away empty. Maybe my coming is being driven or motivated by some sort of motivation that I call faith or think is faith, but there might be something else in there in that motivation. Maybe. I'd rather believe that than to believe that somehow Jesus got back up to heaven and said, you know what, they were really mean to me. And, I, you know, I'm just not feeling it like I did before. Yeah, I mean, we believe that stuff. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we have seen His glory full of grace and truth. If He's full of truth, that means He didn't say one thing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and He's saying something different today. He either is telling the truth, has told the truth, and will always stand by the truth, or he isn't. Hallelujah. The eternal king is a wonderful father. And Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. Praise God. We know that a father who loves us is holding the universe. The universe is not chaotic. The universe is not dangerous. The universe is not hateful. The world and the life that we live in has been poisoned with the noxious fumes of sin. And as long as sinners continue to produce sinners in the world until Jesus returns and his kingdom is fully manifest and Satan is put away forever, there will be the anomaly, the anomaly called evil. Evil didn't originate in God. Satan in his rebellion created it, passed that disease onto, the, onto Adam and from Adam to the sons and daughters of Adam to this day. But that anomaly is one day going to be rolled up and put away forever. And so we live in this dangerous world, but our God is absolutely steadfast, and he is good. Hallelujah. We know that it's a father who is holding the universe. The universe is not held together by an abstract deity, but a father. Now, what is unique about a father is 
is that he's all about relationship. God called himself a father. God also of himself said that he is love. He is just. He is justice. And, and God is love. But it's all wrapped up in that paternal revelation that God is our dad. He wants to be daddy to you. John always calls him daddy. I've known John for years and years. John, how old are you? 84. 84. Thank you. I've, you've brought your spokesperson with you this morning. <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, so, John's 84 years old, and he calls God Papa, Daddy. Amen. Calls him Daddy. And you could be 884 years old. You'd probably still call him Daddy. The Bible says God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Daddy. That's what Abba Father is, Daddy. Do, do you see where I'm going this morning? you see what, where I'm going? In this last hour, in this precarious time that we are living in, the church of Jesus Christ, we need to get back to this wonderful glory that we beheld, that the glory of his truth and the glory of his kindness, the glory of the fact that if you want to understand God, see Jesus. See Jesus standing up in the world today. What would Jesus do? I used to love that little thing. What would Jesus do? I never had one of those cool little bracelet things, but I always thought that was a pretty good, pretty good way of thinking about things. We know the Creator is good. That, that's fantastic. What did Jesus reveal? He revealed that the Creator is good. Did you know the Bible says God made all things through His Son, Jesus Christ? It was Jesus who said, let there be light. It was Jesus who said, who formed the earth and said, let there be light and separate the light from the dark. It was Jesus who made the unicorn and we don't know where it went, but <laughs> it was Jesus who, who created the mountain ranges and it was Jesus who rolled up out of a red piece of clay, the first man, Adam. So when Jesus shows up, you're seeing the creator. You're seeing the Creator. That's who He is. Praise God. Hallelujah. I mean, when we see Jesus, we see, um, as it's described in Acts 10.38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, why? Because God was with him. The devil wasn't with him. The theologians weren't with him. The bitter Christians weren't with him. Who was with him? God was with him. The Father was with him. And so Daddy, well, thank you, John, Daddy was with him. And because Daddy was with him, he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I wish we could get Jesus back into church today, don't you? I wish we'd get Daddy back into church today, because if Daddy were back into church today, everybody would be healed. If Daddy were in our services, every blind eye would open. Every aching back would be healed. Guess what? It would be the preachers that would be having a problem with it. They'd be saying, 
do you know who she is, you know, what she's done? And, and, you know, we're working with her, but she's really not there yet. And he just went, boom, healed her back. The preachers have problems with this. God doesn't have a problem. Jesus doesn't have a problem. He's good. Do you think it costs God something to do good to you? Does it, does it take away from his universe? Does it throw it out of balance? Is he, is, is he promoting your bad behavior because he shows kindness to you? Let me tell you something. The kindness of God, the Bible says, is what leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that breaks down the rebel. Jesus, come back, please. How God anointed Jesus, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God made himself a gift to us as the perfect son. Why was Jesus born a babe? I, Jesse said he had to be born like that. There is a very good reason why. Isaiah said in 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been presented. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And you shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. When life is cruel and disappointing, remember Jesus is here. I mean, let me say it again, I'll use English. When life is cruel and disappointing, remember Jesus is here. Who is he? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. He is given to you. Do with it what you will. The Son is given to you. God gave a Son to us. Why did God give us a Son? Why is Jesus here? Because He is the manifestation. When I think about Christmas, I think of manifest. He is love manifest. He is God in the loudest, most di direct way. If it, if it wasn't impolite to shout in your face, it's God shouting in your face. I so love the world, I give you myself in the form of a son. It's God shouting down every lie, shouting down every misunderstanding, shouting down all religious misdirection, and presenting truth wrapped and swaddled in grace. That's who Jesus is, and he's here as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When life is cruel, remember Jesus is here. Why did he come? Why did he make a gift of himself as a son? Well, <clears throat> remember Abraham. Remember, Abraham tried to offer his son up to God. He went up on top of Mount Moriah, remember? And Abraham's only son, he figured, boy, I was 99 years old when I got this one. I, I better hold on to him. But he's going to offer him up to God. And so he tries to offer his son up to God as a sacrifice. But, but God, in his great love, God in his great love says to Abraham, 
I really, really appreciate your heartfelt gesture, Abraham, but you're going to need a better son. If you're going to offer up a son, you're going to need a better one. So I'll tell you what, take him back. I appreciate the sentiment, but we're in covenant, so I'm going to match that sentiment. I must, because of the covenant, I must match that sentiment. Just hold on, a son is coming. I'll give you one you can offer up. Hallelujah. And this one, when you offer him up, he will be perfect. He will be filled with kindness. You'll hear it coming out of his mouth when you put him up on the cross to offer him up. He will say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They think they're getting rid of a problem because I threatened their falsities and I, I threatened their politics and I threatened their control. But what they don't realize is that they are Abraham doing it again, but this time they've got a better son. And they're offering up a sacrificial lamb. And so, Father, forgive them. That's amazing to me. Praise the Lord. So, Jesus is offered up in order to give us the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, glory to God. He's the way out of every dead end. Praise God. No matter what dead end you may be in right now in your life, there's a way out. Jesus is it. God has given it to you. He fired hopelessness, and he gave you the right to believe that God loves you. Every human being walking the face of the earth has the right to believe God loves them. If they'll turn their heart and want that love, they have a right to believe that he loves them. Glory to God. When you don't know how to navigate life's storms, Jesus is more than an advisor. He's a way maker. He doesn't just tell you how to get across the Lake of Galilee. He's in the boat with you when you go across. So he's not just advising you where to go in life. And he didn't advise the disciples to get into the boat to cross over because he knew that the weather would be good for sailing at night. In fact, a horrible storm broke out that night. But Jesus is more than an advisor. Glory to God. He's, he is a, uh, a storm calmer. He doesn't send us out in life because he knows it's going to be calm. He sends us out into the storm because he's the storm calmer. Can you say amen? amen. We know who Jesus is. Love manifest. That's why I think Christmas is all about manifestation. It's been settled. We know that God is good. He is wonderful. He is all of that and more. I, I think of that old Sandy Patty song, More Than Amazing. Those of you that are old enough to remember, what an awesome, wonderful song. He is more than amazing. I want to close with this one verse, and we can kind of gather our prayer around this verse. So listen carefully to what's being said in Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, 
but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having being justified, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And so He invites us to be as sons and daughters, and as sons and daughters, heirs of eternal life. We know who God is. We know who He is. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. If you don't know who He is, hopefully you'll believe the things that I've shared with you this morning from the Word of God. If you do believe those things, but you haven't received them, I've told you today, you have a right to God's treasures of grace. You have a right to them. Not because of the righteous acts that you've done, but because of what He has done. Because He's a Father, and we were His lost and broken children, He knew that He couldn't come and just stomp us into the dirt and expect to get a result. He knew he would have to reach into that dirt and carefully and lovingly pick us up and pick out every grain, every sand spur, heal every wound, and breathe life and healing into us. That, that is what he's doing in our lives. God is good. And so, as we pray... If you believe that Jesus is God, then this morning you've heard what kind of God He is and what He's offering you. And if you haven't taken it, I urge you this morning, open up your heart and receive what He has. Let Him give you what He wants to give you. And I'll, I know I promised to close with that thought. I've got another thought. If this is a good one, it's worth it. Did you know what makes God happy? You can read it in the Gospels. Jesus got tickled. He just loved it. There was always a certain thing that always made Jesus very happy. It's when people let him do what he came to do. He loved it when people let him heal them. The centurion said, I'm a military man. I live under the chain of command. I understand that you are the commander in chief. So if you just speak your word, uh, Jesus loved that. And he said, your servant is healed. And by the way, I've never seen faith like that. That is awesome. Mary Magdalene comes in. She breaks that expensive vial of, of ointment and pours it over his head. The disciples are like, what a waste. What are you doing? What are you doing? This, this could have been taken and, and given to the street people. And Jesus corrects his disciples. He says, you guys are not understanding this woman sees my death is imminent and she's anointing me for burial. And you know what? It so excites me, this kindness that she has shown me, that throughout all, I'm going to put it in the Bible, and throughout all the world, this testimony of her is going to be given. Children jumped on Jesus. He loved that. He sent his disciples out. And he said, you know what? I've been doing all the healing. You guys go do some now. 
and you guys just go out from village to village, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, do all that. So the 70 disciples go out and they have a field day. They come back and they say, Jesus, the, even the devils were subject to us through your name. The Bible says we always go to the statement. Here's the downer theologians. Always go to the statement, rejoice not that the demons are subject to you. As though Jesus was saying, don't be happy. Don't celebrate your victory over the enemy. No, the Bible says Jesus rejoiced in spirit. And the, the, the terms that were used in the translation rejoice in spirit literally are translated, he danced, he got excited, he rejoiced and exalted. So I think Jesus danced a little jig. I think he danced a little jig, got excited. He said, oh, Father, thank you for revealing this to babes. Thank you for revealing it to these young men. He got excited. Jesus gets excited when you let him open the eyes of the blind, when you let him heal, when you let him love you, when you jump in his lap and let him put his hands around you, caress you when you are lonely and encourage you and bring you near and introduce you to your forever family. That's what turns Jesus on. And Zephaniah 3.17 says, He rejoices over you with singing. Glory to God. So, I don't know what else I can say. I think if you're going to get the point, you've gotten it. So join me now and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear people that you love. And the millions more, Lord, outside these doors whom you have loved from the beginning of time. After all, Lord, your word says that you were the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. You knew who you were, who you are, who you always will be, and what you were going to do. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for coming. And I thank you, Lord, for being you. Today, we know you are love manifest. We know who you are. And I pray for that person right now who needs to receive you, Lord Jesus, into their heart, who is listening and under the sound of my voice, I pray you would just come upon him or her, touch their heart, and help them as I pray with them. And pray this simple prayer from your heart, letting Jesus Christ come in and be your Savior and bring his goodness into your life. Father God, I know who you are. You are Jesus. It's hard for me to see you when I'm looking horizontally out upon the world. But when I look up through the lens of your word, I see clearly you are Jesus. And so Lord, save me. A sinner who needs your love, come into my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord. Thank you for promising me the Holy Spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit to come upon me, who will live and guide me and live in me forever and ever. Lord, I receive you and I am yours. Amen.